Cast for Citroen from the Algonquin Hotel, legendary rendezvous for people in the arts. What are the problems on visas today? Your dollar goes further on P&O cruises, all the way to the old world, to Greece and the Greek Isles, Egypt and Israel, Italy, the time to save on Europe, the Mediterranean, and Scandinavia. P&O gives you the most itineraries and ports of call. Even round-trip airfare is included. And our complimentary two-night hotel package in London saves you even more. Value. That's P&O. Personal service and the European experience of a lifetime. Your dollar goes further on P&O cruises. You've got to go pretty far to beat that. While I have this opportunity, I'm going to drop a tip to you about the Upper East Side's newest and most discreet little restaurant and pub I've yet to see, J.J. Northstar. Yes, J.J. Northstar, located just across the renowned 92nd Street Wise Concert Hall, is the perfect place for pre-theater dinner. It's reasonably priced. Their freshly prepared entrees would include delicate steamed swordfish, spicy skewered lamb curry, or perhaps the fabulous Linguini and white clam sauce. J.J. Northstar makes it right and makes it friendly. Among its main attractions are brunch on Saturday and Sunday with superb live classical music and wonderful food, easily the best brunch in town. J.J. Northstar, Lexington 91st, major credit cards accepted. Almost everyone has dreamed of sailing the superliner Queen Elizabeth II or soaring in luxury on the supersonic Concorde. Together, QE2 and Concorde represent the ultimate travel experience. And now, in 1984, you can buy any stateroom on QE2 to or from Europe and select any specially reserved British Airways Concorde flight the other way. You pay only $499 more than the price of your QE2 fare. And for those not wishing to take Concorde, Gennard provides you with a free British Airways economy class ticket between London and your hometown. Restrictions apply. Choose from frequent QE2 crossings and Concorde flights from now into December. Business or pleasure or both. Call your travel agent now for the ultimate combination. Concorde and Queen Elizabeth II. Registered in Great Britain. I'd like to introduce Arthur Helton who's chairman of the Immigration and Law Committee of the New York City Bar Association. And from Penn, the executive director of the American Center, Karen Kennerly. Well, I didn't realize that we had people, uh, particularly in the arts, Arthur, that aren't allowed in the country at the present moment. But after looking at some of the information, this goes all the way back to the McCarran-Walter Bill of 1952, doesn't it? It does. It's one of those last vestiges of that kind of paranoid era uh, in American history, which permits uh, under the law uh, temporary visitors to be barred or people uh, to be prevented from becoming permanent residents, either because they have membership in an organization with our, which our government considers subversive or because they in some sense threaten the public interest. And are there many people that fit into this category today? Well, there are hundreds of people, uh, and indeed thousands of people, excluded each year on, on these grounds. 
Uh, the real problem is the overbroad and standardless application of these very broad provisions, which results in the exclusion of cultural figures and performers uh, and people who really do not specifically pose a security threat to the United States. Is there an appeal on this sort of... Uh Effectively not. The only way that these provisions have been associate with uh, the persons involved. Well, Karen Kennelly, how does Penn get into the uh, picture? Well, since many of these people who are barred uh, are writers, uh, because writers, the better the writer, the more uh, persuasive the voice has in any society, and I think that's why the government tends to be rather frightened of writers. Many writers over the years have been denied entry under the McCarran-Walter Act or the ideological exclusion provision within the Act. Um, obviously, our, uh, one of our tasks and purposes is to defend writers and writing in any uh, in face of any form of censorship. And this is a censorship that we uh, that is twofold. It's a censorship of foreign writers, and it's also a censorship of us. It's denying us the right to hear these writers, to to have them among our midst, um, among us. Could you tell us uh, some of the recent cases? And also, wasn't there a meeting uh, a few weeks ago about all of this? Yes, yeah, so last Monday, uh, Monday week, we had a we sponsored a reading uh, together with the Fund for Free Expression at St. Peter's Church uh, with writers, American writers, reading from the works of their European colleagues who have been excluded at one time or another. The point of this reading, along with the introductory remarks by the writers who read, such as uh, John Irving and William Styron, were um, there are also comments by Arthur Miller, who uh, talks specifically about an Uruguayan scholar named Angel Rama, who uh, unfortunately is dead because he was killed in a plane crash from the f one that went from Madrid to was going from Madrid to I think Venezuela a few months ago. Um, Angel Rama is one of the cases that Arthur cited of people who have been here but were denied. He was denied permanent residency uh, because it was discovered that he had this. 28 status, as we call it, this excludable status. Uh, he was a recent example. The evening was to um, highlight, uh, really bring, make known to the public the fact that this exists. That was the point of, of the reading. Um, and some of the recent cases are Angel Rama, uh, of Palestinian poet named Mahmoud Darwish, which is a particularly striking case. We tried to get him into the country. We tried to exercise what influence we might have with the State Department a year and a half ago. We're asking for a three-day visa. Now, Mahmoud Darwish is the leading Palestinian poet, um, and his work is, is loved by Israelis and, and Arabs alike. Uh, he only needed one day to get into the country, one day to give a reading, one day to leave. And uh, we talked to people quite high up in both the embassy at Paris and the State Department in Washington, and their answers were finally, it's too complicated. We can't possibly give you a decision within a month. Well, do they give reasons for these denials? Well, when uh, dealing with the case such as the Mahmoud Darwish, they did not. I mean, in other words, if you're talking about a, an uh, uh, oral communication, like you know, we, it's really important for us to get this man in, and uh, he is a leading poet, et cetera, et cetera. They say, well, his record is complicated. Uh, we can't give you an answer. They won't say it's because of this or because of that, at least 
that has been my experience. In the case of Angel Rama, and this is an interesting, uh, what Angel Rama himself called catch 28, because 28 are the last two numbers on the code. Angel Rama was, because there is this possibility to appeal, and he was living in this country, he tried to appeal. But when asked what his charges were, naturally, how can you defend yourself if you don't know what the charges are? They said, but we can't tell you your charges because they're classified. Wasn't there a representative of the State Department at the um, meeting in Soho? In Soho? Uh, do you mean in St. Peter's? Oh, yeah. In, in the in city court. Right, I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, who, do you know who was? Well, the problem yeah. is... Not officially. That's right. why... I, yeah, the problem is that uh, the State Department really is hesitant to come forward and even justify the existence of these provisions at this point. I think that's a testament uh, in some respects to the fact that perhaps the position is indefensible and the government really is uh, unable to articulate a principled uh, defense for these exclusionary provisions. People are just just received notices that they're deemed excludable under one or, or two of the different provisions in the law and they really have no right to review at that point. They can informally request information but the government uh, frequently doesn't do anything more than simply nominate which provision they're excludable under. Is there reason to believe that the uh, home government of some of these people would ask the United States to turn them down? There is no reason not to believe that. There's no uh, 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 standards under which this discretion is exercised. It's a very freewheeling discretion and in fact this administration particularly regards it as a very useful political tool. It expressly uses it for political purposes irrespective of the individual circumstances of the cases involved. It isn't just to the left, is it? Not at all. It uh, has resulted in the exclusion of Roberto Dobison uh, as well as Thomas Borges. So in that sense it's uh, politically blind uh, and unprincipled on both sides. Well, What can we do to right the situation? It's a very difficult problem. The courts are very hesitant to intervene even on behalf of the indirect victims, the American people, who are deprived of the ability to associate with people and the ability to hear ideas uh, articulated by people who are excluded. Uh, the legislature uh, is certainly an obvious forum, but legislators are afraid they'll be accused of being soft on communism. The direct victims, really those excluded uh, uh, foreigners, really have no, uh, really are not a constituency. They can't vote. They have no political voice. So I think it's very important for people to really take up the the banner, if you will, and to present uh, the problem to their legislators and assure their legislators that, uh, in fact, it's the right thing to do. In other words, if you were sitting at Harvard or Princeton or somewhere and you wanted to invite a, a foreigner of some kind of a controversial background to come and lecture, the, uh, it's quite within the power of the State Department to deny the visa. Uh, absolutely, particularly if they can point to membership in an organization which it considers subversive, socialist organizations are teaching socialism uh, abroad, uh, and, and there's really no effective recourse at that point in time. Well, it really doesn't make sense on the basis that, uh, uh, on the other hand, we allow heads of socialist countries to come here and welcome them. That's right. It's, a, uh, it's an unprincipled distinction, and it's one that's subject to great abuse at the lowest and highest levels because of the standardless nature of the uh, provisions of the law. Now, there is, I should say, legislation currently pending that was introduced by Representative Barney Frank from Massachusetts, which would 
revise these provisions and permit exclusions only under very narrow circumstances. There are hearings scheduled on that legislation on June 14, and certainly I think it would be appropriate to encourage people to contact their congressmen and, and to uh, articulate their concerns. I would think about the only grounds that anyone could be excluded would be on the grounds of somebody is advocating the... Um, uh, military overthrow of the United States government or something like that. Even advocacy is a difficult uh, notion. Uh, I think it, it probably makes more sense to draw the classical distinction in, under the First Amendment between actions and words. And it's only when those words really clearly uh, will incite violence or disorder that uh, those words can be prohibited. We really respect uh, speech and rights under the First Amendment in this country, and there's no reason that that should not extend beyond our borders as a matter of law. Do we have any uh, figures, for instance, for 1983, how many times this was invoked? Uh, the figures are, are very soft figures. The government, uh, uh, perhaps they don't keep figures, they certainly don't release figures, but uh, there are thousands of people involved. Really? Yes. Is there any one particular uh, country or area where most of them are from? No, I, I don't think you could say that it's been targeted uh, in terms of countries. Uh, I think realistically it just depends on the political winds at the time. And who makes these decisions? Uh, State Department officials uh, initially, uh, reviewable sometimes by Justice Department officials. Has the action by Penn ever had any success along the lines that we're talking? We were successful in the Dennis Brutus case. You worked in that too, didn't you, Arthur? Uh, Dennis Brutus is a um, South African poet uh, who was in the same situation as Angel Rama. He was living here and he wanted permanent residency. Uh, he, uh, he finally... Does he actually have permanent residency? I know he's still here. Well, he has political no. asylum. He wasn't he banned political. from coming here. He was That's already right. here. No, but it was likely. But 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 when he wanted a uh, more permanent sort of residency, that's when they decided to investigate him, and when he was considered excludable. That is when he had or was discovered to have had 28 status. Um, that uh, I think that's that's one case in which we were successful. We had hoped to be successful for Angel Rama, but you know, unfortunately, he died before the conclusion of his case. Um, I hope, well, there was a very nice time, actually, in 1966, Penn was successful in getting Pablo Neruda into the country, if you can believe that that was a problem. Um, at that time, there was no appeal, and uh, which was a, the appeal we've been talking about was McCovern ruling in 1977. Um, there was an International Pen Congress in 66, and President Johnson himself ordered a stay on the provision for anyone coming in from Western Europe or Latin America who had excludable status. That, that excludable status would be waived for that Congress. And the reason the waiver was granted was because of Pablo Neruda. But it's rather extraordinary to think that it had to go that high up for us to have Pablo Neruda among us. And yet, uh, nobody gets aroused when U.S. Uh, citizens are banned from many countries without any kind of violent backgrounds. Which countries? Not Western Europe, certainly. No, no, no. I'm thinking of, of uh, Iron Curtain countries. The, the drop of a hat, people are not allowed in. That's if right. If they've published anything that's against the country or against the ideological uh, uh, thoughts of a country, they're, they're just not allowed in. Well, sometimes they are, but that's another yep. matter. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. The fact is that we do pride ourselves, do we not, on being a free country. I think that wherever you stand on the political spectrum, an American believes that the First Amendment is, is, 
is the American way, is his country. I, I, don't you I would say that all of us, wherever we stand on the political spectrum, believe that, that the freedom of the United States is our heritage. I think that's the critical distinction. This is an open society, and our theory of government says that we are supposed to expose all of ourselves to various ideas and ideologies and in the war of, uh, uh, of notions and ideas. And that's something that I think is directly contradictory to the idea of keeping out certain ideas and people and ideologies. Karen, isn't the press pretty much with you on this issue? I think so. So far, yes. Because after all, it's, it's uh, the freedom of press would be next. Our, our main um, uh, goal right now, vis-a-vis -vis the press, is to get them to write about it. And we've been quite successful in the last two months. Uh, and I believe that the evening we had last Monday is being reported in the press in various parts of the country, and that's what we need the most. Once the press, once a reporter or uh, editorial writer is made aware of the provision, is usually very sympathetic with our side, yes. I should think you have a golden opportunity with the planks of the two major parties uh, to uh, put get something in. I mean, if you can't get it in, you know, during the year of an election, you'll never get it in. What about that? Election years are funny years. It's uh, easy to get certain things in and harder to get other things. The problem with these provisions in terms of reform legislatively uh, or even in terms of taking political positions, uh, people are afraid, politicians are afraid they'll be accused of being soft on, on communism. Well, it isn't just communism that you're fighting for. No, but there, that's the kind of lumpen uh, notion that animates the, the uh, hesitancy that legislators feel in terms of pressing for legislation in this area. Uh, I think realistically the first task is to kind of win the battle of public opinion, and I couldn't uh, emphasize more the need to disseminate the the problem in whatever form. Haven't there been some rather celebrated cases regarding South Africans? Now, South Africa certainly has been involved. Uh, Dennis Brutus is probably the most celebrated South African case. Is this an ongoing thing with South Africans? Uh, that, uh, I'm sh it's as ongoing as it is with any other country. Uh, uh, certainly, we feel free as a government uh, to make political statements by simply barring, for example, uh, Roberto Dobison because we're afraid it will give the wrong signal, or Thomas Borges because we're afraid that that will give the wrong signal. Uh, but that kind, of, that kind of freewheeling discretion is just not permitted under those provisions. Arthur Helton, you are the director of the Political Asylum Project of the Lawyers Committee for International Human Rights. Isn't that something else? Political asylum is not exactly what we're talking about. No, it's not. It, it's, uh, uh, the Lawyers Committee really has been interested in this area in the sense of the human rights issues raised, uh, the inconsistency with our government's position under the Helsinki Accords, where uh, we have signed an international instrument uh, to liberalize entrance and exit procedures between countries, particularly to permit Soviet dissidents to uh, exit the Soviet Union. It's uh, hypocritical, frankly, for us to, on the other side, then erect very stringent ideological barriers to people trying to come to the United States simply to present cultural events or, or conferences or papers. I can't believe the one you mentioned earlier on the program about asking for a three-day visa. I mean, it's that true. just seems so fantastic. It's true. And as I say, the reason I was given over and over again was that his case was too complicated for them to make a decision this quickly for three days. Well, don't you think what they were saying with the, um, the Israeli-Palestinian issue was too touchy politically? But is that something to say? 
I mean, whatever they were saying, it's it's, it's indefensible. Oh, I know. I'm not defending no, it's, it's it, but I'm incredible. just saying, don't you think that was probably behind it? Yeah, I mean, yes, one can always uh, see political motives, or may, often one can see what's going on politically behind one of these refusals. Um, and I think that the relationship that our government has to the government of the country of the person in question is an issue if you want to examine it that way. Uh, we tend not to dignify that. Well, and it's not only that. Under the First Amendment domestically, uh, the exercise of First Amendment rights are many times inconvenient or costly or politically uh, uh, difficult, but that is something that we pride ourselves on. And there's no reason why we should draw a distinction at the border in that regard when the real victims are the American people who are then deprived of the performances or the receipt of ideas uh, or otherwise the discussion that would be engendered by the visits. Has there been any attempt to take this right to the top of the Secretary of State, for instance? Surely, and, and it's something that both the, uh, the executive departments involved, the Departments of Justice and the uh, Secretary of State, really point to the law and say they're permitted to exercise very wide discretion which uh, unfortunately is true under the provisions, even though they many times abuse the discretion permitted. What does the statute actually state? Well, it permits the exclusion of people who, are, who have membership in or are affiliated with uh, organizations or ideologies that this government considers subversive, or on the other hand, which uh, would threaten in some sense the public security uh, of the United States. Well, how did the uh, Brutus case fit that? Uh, it beats me. <laughs> the Ong Hill Rama case is even more startling because he, uh, I, by the way, the provision does explicitly state uh, world communism, anarchism, and terrorism. Um, Rama was not a communist. It doesn't matter, you know, if he was. He happened not to have been a communist, ever. At one point, he wrote for a magazine in Uruguay, which was sort of the New York Review of Books of, of Uruguay, which editorially speaking had leftist leaning, I mean, was, had, had leftist tendencies, but that was it. He truly was not, he truly believed in democracy. He was more conservative than probably many of us. Now, what do you do with that? One of the problems is the very invisible nature of the decision-making process. It's not subject to effective review, and so that permits the wide exercises and abuses of discretion. What can our listeners do? Realistically, I think they should contact their uh, legislators and uh, voice their discomfort at being deprived of associating with people of this character and stature or the ideas uh, voiced by those persons. Should we tell them what exactly they're? Um, You're on the mic. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I think that they 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 should might know want to know again exactly what this is called. Um, it is uh, the Immigra Immigration Nationality Act, otherwise known as the McCarran Walter Act, right? Of 1952, and it's the ideological exclusion. That's one name under which this provision goes. And the numbers are, once again, 212C328, is that correct? Right. It's those provisions of the Immigration yes. Nationality Act. There's legislation pending that's sponsored by Barney Frank. There's a, uh, a big conference scheduled in September, uh, uh, sponsored in part by the uh, uh, American Civil Liberties Union and the Fund for Free Expression uh, and in Penn Washington, too, and, yeah. and Penn as well, and the Lawyers <coughs> Committee as well. And that conference in Washington will be designed to invite uh, persons who have been excluded 
uh, to come once again to the United States if they're so disposed to run the gauntlet and to risk the humiliation involved. And if not uh, uh, able to enter, they'll be uh, actually heard uh, at a subsidiary conference elsewhere. We're out of time. Thank you very much, uh, Karen Kennelly, talking as executive director of the American Penn Center, and Arthur Helton, who is uh, chairman of the uh, Immigration and Law Committee of the New York City Bar Association. Uh, I hope you succeed, and thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Almost everyone has dreamed of sailing the superliner Queen Elizabeth II or soaring in luxury on the supersonic Concorde. Together, QE2 and Concorde represent the ultimate travel experience. And now, in 1984, you can buy any stateroom on QE2 to or from Europe and select any specially reserved British Airways Concorde flight the other way. You pay only $499 more than the price of your QE2 fare. And for those not wishing to take Concorde, Cunard provides you with a free British Airways economy class ticket between London and your hometown. Restrictions apply. Choose from frequent QE2 crossings and Concorde flights from now into December. Business or pleasure or both. Call your travel agent now for the ultimate combination, Concorde and Queen Elizabeth II, registered in Great Britain. Some folks like the suburbs, some folks like the shore, some folks like the mountains, but here's what I adore. I'll take Manhattan every time. Manhattan Island suits me fine. Where else could I go to see the number one rated show? me fine I'll take Manhattan every time Manhattan Island suits me fine Where else could I go to see the number one rated show Manhattan Island suits me fine Manhattan Island. That's E-Y-E-L-A-N-D. The world's eyewear and eye care center in the island of design. Hope you like it. Our address is the corner of 59th and 2nd. We're open 10 to 8, Sundays 12 to 5. There's an important message for everyone who enjoys fine wine, so listen carefully. Do you have the courage to buy a premium quality California wine that costs a little less? Then you should know about Catani Chablis. I like white wine with a crisp, clean taste. Catani Chablis has the taste you prefer in a white wine. I want white wine that has full-bodied flavor. Catani Chablis is made only from fine California varietal grapes. I love a bargain, especially in good wine. No wine gives better value than Catani Chablis. It's premium quality wine that costs a little less. Now that's a name you want to remember, Catani Chablis. It's a wine that has all the taste, all the flavor you wanted a fine white wine. Little wonder that we Americans buy over one million bottles of Catani a year. Ask your wine dealer for Catani, C-A-T-T-A-N-I, because no wine gives you better value. Catani is premium quality wine that costs a little less. Admiral Catani Wine Company, New York. I am Marvin, your home price computer. Ask me the price of anything and I will depress you. One dozen long stem roses. Forty dollars. A pair of designer boots. Two hundred seventy-five dollars. 
a penthouse in Manhattan. $350,000 and three cents. Correction, four cents. Supper after the theater? $9.75, including dessert. $9.75, including dessert? Where? The Brasserie, 53rd between Park and Lex. When? Every night from 10 to 4 in the morning. To help fight the high cost of living, discover the low cost of dining at the Brasserie after theater. The Brasserie special supper menu gives you a choice of Brasserie specialties, including baby salmon, chicken brochette with curry, and more. And more. Just $9.75. $9.75. Why do you keep repeating it? It's the only luxury a hardworking computer can afford these days. These the 975 after theater supper at the Brossery, 53rd between Park and Lex. To Arthur Helton and Karen Kennelly from Catani, this premium California burgundy. I hope that you enjoy it and good luck. Thank you. Thank you. This is Casper Citron saying goodbye from the Algonquin Hotel, cultural landmark here in Midtown, New York City.